The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. I want to go back to our Let's Talk Church series. So far, we talked about, you know, the ordinances of the church. We talked about baptism because we have baptism. We talked about Lord's Supper, and we also talked about Mother's Day. That's not an ordinance. But, you know, if you could ask the Lord Jesus Christ to do anything for you, what would you ask him to do for you? Maybe if you're a musician, as musicians, maybe, you know, Nikita says, I want to play better. I want to be a better musician or sing better. If you're a businessman, you'll say, hey, make more proper decisions so you'll be more success. If you're a church leader, maybe you want to... You, teach Sunday school class. Maybe you want to do a better job of that. Maybe, you know, if I'm a preacher, want to become a better preacher. So what would you ask for? The men whose shoulders, on whose shoulders rested evangelizing the world to begin with, this heavy responsibility of spreading the gospel, they came to Jesus with one supreme request. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And prayer is a secret weapon for our Christians that we rarely use. And the reason I say it's a weapon, because if you think about it, it could be fired from any spot, right? I can start praying right now. I could start praying in the car, which I did this morning on the way here. Uh, You can start praying at your work. You can start praying when you're waiting in line, and you can even pray with your mask on, right? You can launch it from any spot. Now, it also travels at undetected speed. We read in the 2 Corinthians in 12 chapter that Paul says, I went up to the third heaven. Now, I don't know how far third heaven is, but when you pray, it reaches third heaven just like that. And folks, number three, it hits the target all the time. Number four, Satan has no defense missile against it. There's no anti-prayer missile. And number five, which we miss most of the time, is sometimes it has delayed detonation. It, it, It explodes, but we don't know when. Sometimes it's delayed. And you say, well, I don't know. If it hit the target or anything like that, God said it hit the target. It'll go off in time. So one of the weapons that we have and the greatest privileges is the privilege of prayer. And one of the greatest failures that we have as individuals, I know I don't pray as much as I should, and as a church, is the area of prayer. We fail to pray as much as we should. You know, let me ask you a question. Anybody on the way here go into their trunk and check their spare tire? Is there air in it? Well, how do you know? Well, what if you get an emergency and then you go to check your spare tire? There's no air in it. That's how we treat prayer sometimes. We treat it as we know it's there, it's in the trunk, but we only use it when there's a case of emergency. You know, I'll never forget a story a pastor shared when he asked a little boy if he said his prayers during the nighttime, and he says, I sure do. He said, well, do you say them during the daytime? He said, no, I'm, I ain't scared during the daytime. 
That's how we treat prayer. But there's no substitute for prayer. prayer. And we must learn how to pray as individuals and as a church. And desperate need in these days, as we see, is link our lives with God, who's called upon us and told us to pray. You know, as I was preparing this series, I was thinking, what should we be as a church? There's so many churches, you know, they go under the name church, but they're not churches. And I go to the book of Acts to see these things that they were doing. And sometimes when I talk to other pastors in the area or anybody else, they would recommend a particular church and what they're doing. And they would give me reasons that they think it's successful. And most of the time, the reason they think it's successful is because it has lots of people there. You know, they'll talk about having basketball. They have an awesome worship band. Uh, They have many activities for the kids. And folks, get me, so we're on the same page. There's nothing wrong with big churches. There's nothing wrong with having lots of ministries in your church. But what I often don't hear in most cases is somebody saying, I grew spiritually in that church. The Word of God is up front and center. The pastor's messages are comforting, but yet they're also convicting. Or my prayer life grew. It's all of these external things. So, you know, we have the secular opinions, but then when I go to the Word of God and look in the book of Acts, especially the first two chapters, and I wonder, how is it that they did so much with so little? How is it? They did not have technology, transportation as we do today. In the first book of Acts, the first two chapters, you will see that there was 120 disciples. And the first day of church, they converted 3,000 people. And these days, we have everything. We have all tools. You know, you can post something here. They can hear it on the other side of the world. I was in California once, and, you know, by the time I said I was preaching at a church, and before I got done and walked down the steps, I already had like 12 messages from somebody in Michigan. We have all these tools, but yet... These days, it takes 3,000 people to convert 120. But if you read the book of Acts, and before there was a church, there was a prayer meeting, a big prayer meeting. So today, I want to talk to you about a praying church. Now, is Grace Fellowship Church a praying church? Well, that's the wrong question. The question is, am I a praying Christian? Because all church is just a composition of all of us. So ask yourself, am I a praying Christian? And Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.8, says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And folks, I have the same desire for you, for me, and for our church that we be a praying church. I often tell Mike Kelly, he leads the Wednesday prayer group, 
He has the most important ministry in the church, as I said before. It's important than what, more important than what I'm doing right now. You see, when I preach, people listen. When we pray, God listens. When we preach, people act. But when we pray, God acts. And the greatest problem we have in life is not really an unanswered prayer, you know. Sometimes we pray and pray and we're like, well, God didn't answer. And we'll talk about that because sometimes their answers are delayed. The greatest thing is we have an unoffered prayer. We pray once or twice and then you stop because you're not getting any responses. Well, that doesn't mean the, the answer is no, necessarily. So you stopped asking. But turn to the book of Luke, and we're going to look at chapter 11 and verses 9 through 10. And Jesus says this. It's a wonderful promise. says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. This is one of the Lord's greatest promises to those who belong to him, those who are his children and citizens of his kingdom. You know, sometimes the people take this out of context, and this is not a blank check for anyone. This is not, hey, ask, and it will be given to you, seek, you'll find, and so forth, and taking it out of context. There's some conditions that are met. It need to be met here. First of all, it's for believers. It's only for the child of God. Otherwise, there's no relationship. Look in John 9, 31. It says, now we know that God does not hear sinners. Now, when we say does not hear sinners, it doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. God hears everything. He just kind of ignores it. He does not hear sinners. Now, if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, then he hears. Secondly, briefly touched in this verse, but secondly, you must be living in obedience. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I'm a child of God. We go to the vending machine and we treat prayer like that. You know, you put your quarters in and you're like, I'll take a G6. That doesn't work that way. You must be living in obedience. Look at 1 John 3.22. It says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So if you're not doing those things and you're not obeying, chances are you're not going to be receiving. And let me give you some verses over that. Look at Psalm 66, 18. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So before we come to God in prayer, we need to do some confessing. Is there any unrepentant sin? Look at Isaiah 58, 9. Then you should call the Lord, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. But then there's that big word, if. He will answer, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking in wickedness. Do we speak wickedness? Are we controlling our tongues? Isaiah 59, uh, 2 says, but... But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. We forget that God is a holy God, but we treat him like a genie. 
So we need to confess when we get on our knees. Is there any unrepentant sin? And then, number three, we need to check our motive for asking. What's your motive for asking this? If you read James 4, 3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. So you may spend it on your pleasures. Are you just want to fulfill your desires? And sometimes desire may be good, but your prayer or your motive behind it is not. For example, we will pray and say, God, fill this church with people. Sounds good, right? God, fill this place with people. Well, what's the motive? What's the motive for filling the pews? So we can just say, look at our church, we have so many visitors here. Or we can say, God, use me, use this church to bring the gospel to those who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Give us wisdom so then we can make disciples and those people can make more disciples. So asking, you have to be a child of God. You have to be obedient child of God. You have to check your motives and you also have to submit to his will. You know, sometimes I talk to some of you well, maybe it's not his will that he fills every pew here. Maybe it's his will to grow us as Christians and to do what the apostles did. 120, they turned the world upside down. Maybe that's just our job. Sometimes we have to pray according to his will, and it's his will people be saved. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, he says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him if we ask anything according to what? To Cornet's will. God, I want you to, my, my will is you fill this church. No, that's my desire. But God, whatever your will is. Whatever your will is. This is not a blank check. So the check, there has to be conditions that are right. You have to be a child of God. You have to be unselfish. And you're praying to his will. And that not we or myself or you be glorified, but God's name be glorified. And one of the many things that we should be asking, seeking, and knocking as a church is God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Remember I told you my favorite person was Solomon? I wanted to be as wise as he was. The scripture said, there's nobody going to be like you before you or after you. And I said, God cannot be number two. Wisdom. Folks, can you imagine having wisdom? Not just one or two people, but the entire church going in the same direction and unity with God's wisdom. And James 1.5 says how we can attain that. How can we attain that? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reapproach, and it will be given. But when we're asking for wisdom, where are we asking for wisdom for? To show off that I'm a better preacher or something like that or better Christian than somebody else? So we have to check those things when we get on our knees. And God promises that he will answer those prayers if we abide in him, that he abides in us. And folks, these are not just my words. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he says ask... It speaks of our desires. What's my desire? Tell him. When it says seek, 
What do you do and seek? That's direction. And knock is going to be speaking of determination. Jesus gives us three commands. They're not suggestions. And sometimes we look at the Word of God, really you find a lot of commands instead of suggestions. And I want us to understand, folks, that these are the promises from the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we want to be a successful church in God's eyes, this is what we need to do. And I don't have a failure, and you don't have a failure. Somehow we can always tie it to a prayer failure. You know, somebody will call or ask for opinion or suggestion or something like that, and they'll say, before you even ask me, did you pray about it? And they'll say, yes, three minutes before I called you. Well, <laughs> no. Pray about it. Seek. Knock. You will grow spiritually. And, folks, prayerlessness in our life is not just like, oh, it's a missed opportunity. It's a sin. Look at 1 Samuel 12, 23. It says, moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord. How is he singing, sin, sinning against the Lord? Not even against somebody else. He's saying, I'm singing against God. How? In ceasing to pray for you. And Mark 14, 38 tells us, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation and the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. A lot of us start praying when we're already in the temptation, right? When we're already in, the, in trouble. That's when we're starting to pray. A lot of times there's church for us because the church does not pray for protection and protection of unity of the church. You know, sometimes I would be praying and I'll say, God, you know, protect the unity of our church and so forth. And people will be like, after that prayer, what's happening? Is there something wrong? Why are you praying for unity? Well, no, there is unity, but I want that unity to be protected. You know, and Philippians, Paul writes in 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And folks, I think honestly, and not just because I'm your pastor, but because what I'm seeing, we have a wonderful church. I think Mike pointed out a couple of people this morning. Everybody's volunteering. Everybody's stepping up and doing something. And we're here not because of me or the deacons. We're here because of you. We have a wonderful church, but we need to improve our prayer life because when we don't pray, as individuals as a church, we're basically telling God that we don't need you. We live independently of God. And I believe that prayer, you talk about shortages, shortages these days, right? Gas shortages, all that kind of stuff. I think one of the greatest shortages is the prayer of Christians. I honestly don't think this country would be in the mess and going through all this in, in the world if Christians prayed, right? Remember we read, if my people humble themselves and they pray, but we only pray when we're already in trouble. Why not pray for protection during the good times? How much time do you individually spend in prayer? You know, when we did youth group, when I was doing the youth group in the Russian church, we had not just prayer, but we did a test with the youth, and they had to write out 
their schedule during the day and how much time they spend reading the Bible or not for necessarily for me to check, but for them to know where they're at spiritually. They sometimes say, oh, I'm a spiritual giant. But then when you look at the schedule, how you spent your time, a lot of people didn't want to share because it was this much. How much time do we spend in prayer? Five minutes in the morning we pray. You know, there's a prayer. There's different types of prayers, and I'm talking about the fervent prayer where you go, you lock the door behind your room, and you pray and cry out to God, not just for your families, but everything else that's going on, and we'll talk about that here. And the reason behind our spiritual poverty is prayerlessness. You know, there's sometimes I don't want to read the Word of God, just get lazy, but I know that's when I need to pray most. I get on my knees, crawl out, say, God, give me strength because I know this is not right. So we need to be a praying church. And as I looked at prayer, there's so much to talk about, but I had some questions for myself. Why, why does God ask us to pray. We're his children, right? He knows everything. He's a good God. He wants to do good things. Why, why does he want us to pray? Well, if you look at Matthew 6 in verses 7 and 8, it says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father has known the things you need before you ask him. So, God, why do you want me to pray? If you're my father, you know the needs beforehand. Well, first of all, we don't pray to impress him. You know, he says, do not use vain repetitions. So, we're not heard for much speaking. You don't have to be a Shakespeare in your prayers or using that King James lingo, thou art God. You ever heard those prayers? Well, you don't have to do that. We don't pray to impress God. Does your little kid or your grandkid comes to you, do they have to impress you with their language or they just communicate in the language that they can when they ask you for things or talk to you? So if the earthly child can speak to his earthly father, you can speak to your heavenly father any way you want. So he's not interested in your vocabulary or your poetry. And then we don't pray to inform him. As we read here, it said he knows everything before you even come to him. He already knows. So we don't pray for impressing God or inform him or to instruct him, tell him what to do. You see, we, we miscommunicate or misunderstand prayer where prayer is finding the will of God and getting in it. That's it. Prayer is we invite God into our lives and delight in the Lord. Prayer is when we bind ourselves to him and him to us. Now, if God would have met all our needs without us asking, do you think we'd be living dependent on God or independently on God? But the Bible says we have to ask, and we don't have because we don't ask. And God never wants us to live independently, and Paul said that we are workers with him together. And he loves us so much that he gives us the privilege to participate in building off his kingdom here. Now, God can work without our prayers. You know that? When God says his will, it's going to be done with you or without you. But he's given you an opportunity, a privilege to participate that. And prayer causes us to depend on him. 
And he could do it without us, but we can't do it without him. And John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, again, God is not a genie in the bottle to fulfill your old desires. See, when you abide in God and God abides in you, you will have the proper desires. So that's why he's going to fill them. So there's keys in getting your prayers answered. But look again in Luke eleven nine. 9. Expression. Expressing our desires to God. Ask and it will be given to you. So we have to express our desires. And if you look up Psalm 5, 2, it says, Give heed to my voice and my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. So he's expressing his desires to God. And then in Mark eleven twenty four 24, it says, Therefore I say to you, whatever you, things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will receive them. So number one, oftentimes we don't receive the very, very simple. We don't ask. We don't ask. And Bible contains many admonitions for us to pray, and Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. And the church, the first church, and how they did so much, was born out of the prayer meeting. So you see, when our praying is wrong, I guarantee you your Christian life will be wrong. And when your Christian life is wrong, church life will be wrong. And God wants you to tell him his desires, not just big ones and the little, little ones. You know, sometimes people say, well, I don't, that's just a little thing. I don't pray about it. Folks, is there anything that's big to God? Think about it. All your requests are little. But the problem is heaven is full of answers to questions nobody bothered to ask because we just simply don't ask. And folks, don't get the idea that you can ask God just for spiritual things in your prayers and not secular things or whatever. Look at Genesis 28, 20. The Jacob made a vow saying to God, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and then he says, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. There's nothing wrong with asking for those things. Again, it's your motive. And there's the prayer of Jabez in the first Chronicles 4.10. It says, Jabez called on God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. What? He's praying to enlarge his territories? Want more acreage? And he continues that your hand would be with me, that you will keep me from evil and that I may not cause pain. And then it says, so God granted him what he requested. Why? Because the motive behind his prayer was not just so he becomes rich or he enlarges territory and says, look at me, but he wanted to be more and wanted to do more for God, and he expressed those desires to God. So bring your desires, check your motive to God, and tell God, and God will hear your prayer. Now, the responsibility for asking lies on us, but responsibility of giving is God's. And folks, understand this. Satan cannot keep God from answering your prayers. There's nothing Satan can do to stop God from answering your prayers. So what does he do? He will distract you. He will keep you busy. 
He will keep you occupied. You ever get down on prayer? You know, one of those closet prayers sometimes I get, and it's a quiet day, and all of a sudden, everybody needs to get a hold of me. You know, the phone's buzzing, and bzz, bzz, you know, the emails goes off. You have a message. Where were you? So God, does, God will not, he, he will answer our prayers, but Satan will do everything possible to keep you from praying because he knows the power of prayer. Now, sometimes we pray and God gives us direct answers. We ask and God gives. And one of the greatest stories in the Bible, and we actually just recently read about it in the, uh, in the Wednesday prayer, of Hannah. She could not have kids, and the Bible says the Lord closed her womb. But she was persistent in her prayer. She called upon the Lord, and if we read in 1 Samuel chapter 1, the first two verse, uh, verses 11 and 12 says, then she made a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you indeed look at the affliction of your main servant and remember me, and not forget your main servant, but will give your main servant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And verse 12 says, and it happened. As she continued praying before the Lord, and Eli washed her mouth. And she named Samuel, which means ask of God, or God heard. Samuel was a constant testimony that God gives us the desires of your heart and the result of an answer prayer. And folks, I can share a number of stories with you in my personal life. I had many prayers were answered just directly. And I'm sure you have too. And aren't those just awesome? But at times, God does not give us an answer directly. So what do we have to do? We ask and don't receive. Well, that's the next thing. If you look at uh, uh, Luke again, in verse 11, verse 9, it says, Seek and you will find. We have to seek. That's the direction. We have to seek and expect direction from God. Now, if God is, you ask God for something and he didn't do it, this is where you start seeking. You start asking yourself, why didn't I get it? Why didn't God do this for me when I asked him to do? Well, did you check your motive? As we read in James 4, 3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. You're missing the target. Check your motive. Are you, is that God's will? Or you just want to spend it on your pleasures like it says here? And folks, we need to understand that God is too good to give you the wrong thing. We pray until God directs us. Expect direction. But we don't do that. We pick up the phone and ask people for opinions. And Apostle Paul, who was a better Christian than anybody, probably in this building or probably better Christian than any Christian, had a thorn in the flesh. You guys remember that? And he kept praying for God to remove it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, he said this, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And those prayers were not like, God, remove this for me. Amen. Then third time, God, remove this for me. Amen. He had prayer sessions. And then in verse 9, he says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'd rather have this thorn and have the power of God with me than not have this thorn and have no power of God. He had one big session, 
God didn't answer. He had another one and so forth. And the third time, God gave him an answer. Was it an answer Paul was expecting? Could God remove the thorn and still gave him great power? Sure. But you see, God knows us better than we do ourselves. And he knows what's best for us. But God gave him an answer. And, you know, God said, Paul, I've got a better plan for you. I'm going to give you this extraordinary power. And I'm going to have my power rest upon you. Paul said, all right, praise the Lord. I'll, I'll take this thorn. And he had to take pleasure in what God's done for him. Now, have you ever thought about or thank God for unanswered prayers? Have you ever prayed that you desperately wanted something? Right? And you knew it. A lot of young men think, I know that's the girl for me. God, she's going to marry, and then she ends up marrying a best friend or something. But then when you look back, you're like, God, thank you. That's a whole lot of mess there. But sometimes we rush into those things. We don't wait on the Lord. You ever look back and say, God, thank you for not answering my prayer? And you see, we, we sometimes get into trouble because we don't seek. We don't ask for, we don't pause or ask for God's guidance or seek him. Sometimes we're just, and sometimes churches do this too, we're going to do this ministry, God bless it. You know, we, we ask God's blessing on it. We're doing this. Well, did you ask him? Did you pray about it? Do you feel as leadership or as a church, that's the ministry we should move closer together and move forward? That's why we need to be a praying church. Seeking God means to pray for something. Do not give up. Looking around saying, is this truly God's will for me or for the church or so forth? So we need to remember, we need to express our desires, but we also need to seek and expect direction from God. And our prayers must be in accordance with the will of God. And like I said, God knows better than I do what's best for us. Now, the third factor he talks about, if you look at Luke 11.9, it says, knock, and it will be open to you. And this is the most important factor, at least in my opinion, when it comes to prayer. Because knocking signifies your determination to this. You knock, and sometimes you ask God for, again, answers direct. Sometimes it may be different, but sometimes you don't get an answer, right? Do you give up praying? You don't get an answer? Well, sometimes we think we're not getting an answer, but really, God is testing you, and are you knocking? Because really, the answer, God has an answer, but it's just a delayed answer. Delayed. He says, ask, seek, and knock. All those are present tense, meaning you keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Don't pray and then quit. You know, in our prayer, Wednesday night prayer, there's some names on there and there's some requests. And for those of you who attend, that have been there on years. And guess what? We're going to continue to pray until we have an answer. And as you can see, we'll talk about it later, the answer may come 
after you even pass. But God answers prayers of those people that live in obedience, ask for according to his will. And in Luke 18.1, he says, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You ever lose heart when you pray? Like, oh, I prayed and prayed and I guess God doesn't want me to have it, so I'm going to quit. Or God's not answering, I'm going to quit. Until you have a definite answer from God, Paul prayed three times, three sessions, right? But then when God answered, he stopped. So you do not stop praying until you have an answer either way. Let me give you an illustration of this. If we go back to Luke 11, but we grab a couple of verses higher, if we go to Luke 11, 5, and verses through 9, we'll read, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has come to his journey and I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me and I cannot rise and give you the bread. You know, I can give it to you. So I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistent, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And that's the verse 9 that we're talked about. Next verse, so I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and it will be, you'll find. Knock and it will be open. See, in the Middle East, there's a tradition, and sometimes we had this where I'm from, in Uzbekistan. If you're traveling, there's not really a Motel 6 or anything like that, hotels. And sometimes friends show up un uninvited, unexpectedly, but in culture-wise, you're obligated to take care of them, give them a place to sleep, give him some food. But this man had nothing in his cupboard. He's embarrassed. So he goes to his neighbor next door, middle of the night, says, hey, I need some bread. I got a friend over and I have nothing to give him. So he's bothering and this friend's like, what are you talking about, man? We're bad. Midnight. Children are in bed with me. But he kept on being persistent, kept on knocking. And so he would just leave his family alone. The man gets up and gives it to him. So this is what our God is Jesus like. Just, hey, just get rid of it. Like, hey, what I am tired of you requesting it. No, God does not have that kind of an attitude, but he's saying that man will get up because the other one is being persistent. That's what he's trying to illustrate here, being persistent in our prayers. And even though that man is all bothered, but just to, because the other neighbor is so persistent, he's going to give up and give him what he needs. We need to keep on knocking. And God wants for us to search him with all of our hearts, folks. That's the seriousness of prayer. Matter of fact, we're going to continue talking about prayer maybe next Sunday. But if you look at Jeremiah 29 in verses 12, 13, it says, Then you will call upon me and go to pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me. How do we seek and find the answers? When we search for me with all your heart. So when we get, don't get answers, we need to be seeking and knocking with all of our heart. Not only he wants us to pray in his will, but he also wants to pray us, for us to pray with all our heart. 
And Jesus told a story of a widow in Luke chapter 18. You know, somebody cheated her financially and so forth. There's nobody going to be taking care of her. And he said that judge didn't fear God or man. Remember that story? And she kept going to that judge and so forth and going and going. And that unjust judge took care of her because she was so persistent. Again, Jesus is not like the unjust judge, but he's saying, illustrating persistent. He's saying it works in the world, it works in your neighborhood, and it will work in kingdom of heaven. Why We have to persist with God. You know, there's another story in the Bible of a woman, and her daughter was demon-possessed. Demon-possessed. And in Matthew 15, verses 22 through 28, it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region, cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. Jesus, like, ignoring her. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out for us. Sounds familiar? Hey, man, she's being persistent. Like, she's, can you just send her away? Like, she's being persistent. But not only that, then in verse 24 it says, But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This woman is a Canaan. And then in verse 25, Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Worshipping. She's seeking with all her heart. Lord, help me. But then he goes and says, again, he doesn't answer. You'll see the answer is a little delayed. And he answered said, it's not good for the, to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What if somebody told you that? Wouldn't you be a little insulted? And she said, yes, Lord. Humility. Just called her a dog. Did she say, what kind of Messiah is this? She humbled herself. And she said, yet even the little dogs eat crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then in verse 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you, what? Desire. Because we see she expressed desire. We see that she seeked them with all the heart. She humbled herself. Her motive was right. There was no selfish motives. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. She heard that Jesus was a neighborhood. This was her opportunity. She comes to Jesus, falls down in front of him, says, Lord, have mercy on me. He says, I didn't come to you, Canaan's. So she prays again. He says, well, I don't want to take over the bread from my children and give it to the dogs. He wasn't being cruel to this woman, but he was trying to teach her persistence and also persistence to his disciples around him. She expressed her desires. She was not selfish. She was persistent, and she had faith in Jesus. He said, oh, woman, how great is your faith? And that prayer was answered. Think of Jacob. He was out there in the middle of the night. Remember him wrestling with an angel? I think that fight was fixed. Don't you think so? I think an angel could get away any time he wanted. But look what it says in Genesis 32, 26. He said, and then he said, let me go for the daybreaks. This is the angel speaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
He says, I'm going to be persistent. I want a blessing. And that's great. You prevailed with God. And he gave him a new name, Israel. There are many of us here and many of us been brought into the kingdom because the prayers of others. Maybe in prayer of your father, prayer of your mother. You might have been a stray street, but you came, sheep, and but you came, came, back, came back. And great revivals also were results of prolonged prayer. But most of us are not persistent in our prayers. <clears throat> Anybody ever get tired of praying? Anybody get tired? Lord, I'm tired. There was a little boy that was praying to God, and obviously he was disgruntled with God. He was not happy. He was saying, God, Aunt Harriet still gotten married. My Uncle Willie still hadn't found a job. And my dad is losing all his hair. And he says, I'm tired of praying for this family without getting any results. Don't we feel that way sometimes? We're not getting any Results. But let me share a story with you. It's kind of personal. <clears throat> it's about my wife's uncle, and he's a great illustration of this. Because when we dated in California, I shared with you this story, and I'm going to, every time I share it, I'm going to share this part. Every time after Sunday, she had a grandpa who had Alzheimer's, and he lived across the street from the church. We would go over there to visit him. And he would always remember me and not my wife, his granddaughter. I felt so special. He one time told me, said, Cornet, pulled me aside. It's not nice for you to bring a different girl here every Sunday. You know, you need to settle down to one. I said, I'll think about it. But you know what? Through all, the special thing about him to me was in his youthful days, he used to write out psalms from the Bible into his notebook, and he would remember all the psalms word for word. Sometimes, even though he doesn't remember you, but when you say, Grandpa, can you recite psalm whatever? You know, you'll see this glow on his face. He loved it. And he would just repeat it. And they had a big family. They had 12 kids, so 12 uncles and aunts. And one of them was a troublemaker. Matter of fact, he lived in their garage, and I never seen this man sober any time, always in a drunken state and so forth. But came a time where Grandpa passed away. You know, they were praying for him, because one, one time he kind of went off at me, wanted to fight me, and, you know, the grandma was like, you have to excuse us, we're praying for him every day and so forth. Well, time came, the Grandpa passed away. Then six months later, Grandma passed away. So they never seen what happened to their son. But let me tell you something. What happened to him? Repented of all his sin, restored relationship with his son, got married. He's in church, front row, center. Who did that? God did that ultimately, but how? Delayed prayer. Delayed answer. That bomb exploded. Do not cease praying for your kids, your grandkids, 
We will not cease praying for those things or items on our list. God may answer them whenever he feels he's the proper. Our job is to pray. We never forget that God, folks, is not bound by time like we are. We see only for the present moment, you know, and most importantly, we want immediate results. But God sees the whole picture. God sees everything. We see only our part and, you know, what he's doing or he's not doing, but he sees it all. So we need to ask, we need to seek, and definitely need to keep on knocking. Knocking, checking our motives. If our motives are right, our prayer and his will, isn't it his will that people get saved? We need to continue knocking and continue praying. So what does God, number one, wants us to be as I thought about what we should be as a church? Number one, before we do anything else, before we do any ministries, before we do or think what we want to do, we need to be a praying church, a praying church. And in order for us to be a praying church, you need to be a praying Christian. You need to be a praying Christian. You know, some of you say, I wanted my pastor to preach better sermons. Well, have you asked? Have you seeked? Have you knocked? All you have to do is pray for it. Are you persistent in your prayers? Are you praying for our youth? Are you praying for our youth leaders that they share the gospel properly with them so they can take it and apply it in their lives, into their hearts. When do we stop knocking? When do we stop asking? When we have answers. And if we don't, we need to keep on praying. Now, prayer teaches us to communicate and fellowship with God and trust God and seek Him more and more. So, you know, it's not only for asking and seeking. There's something happens to us too. We grow spiritually. Prayer teaches us patience, doesn't it, when God's not answering? It teaches us patience. Prayer teaches us to love God as Father more and more. And prayer, when we continue knocking, it demonstrates that we, how deeply we trust in God. It's our trust in God and how much we love Him and depend on Him. A person who really trusts God, that's the first place they're going to go, to prayer. You will come to God more and more in prayer. But if we're not quite sure, we're just going to pray, you know, one of those yippee prayers and that's it. And God can easily see how much we love and trust him by your prayer life. Now, folks, I know I'm taking some time, but it's important for me that we understand this as a church. We all understand seeking, knocking when it comes to our personal needs and our church prayer list and so forth. Uh, but we need to take it a step further. And the reason I say this is because, folks, before we do anything else with this church or we move forward or a kind of church we should be, and I don't care what other churches are doing, if we are not going to be a praying church, meaning if you don't want to be a prayer Christian, then we just might as well pack up and go home. That's how serious prayer is. And again, not just pray for us. This is not just a little 
country club and we come here and just express our needs and so forth and pray for each other. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first six verses. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for what? All men. Not males means humanity, women, children, boys and girls, everybody. Then verse 2, he says, for the kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. Why? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of the God our Savior, who desires for all men, again, all people, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Pray for all men, for all leaders. Why? Because verse 3 said it's good and acceptable in the sight of our God. Because he desires all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And he gave himself ransom for that. He died on a cross for that. So he wants everybody saved. Is everybody going to be saved? No, but that's his desire. See, sometimes we don't pray for our leaders because we think, well, he's ungodly. But we must pray for them because all those policies, all those things will fade away, but the soul will remain. What is it going to spend eternity? Desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Folks, you know, there's not a spiritual, there's a spiritual war that going on that we often don't pay attention to. We pay attention more to the Democrat, Republicans, what's going on in this country, what's going on in Israel, or anything like that. But we don't realize, we don't, the ultimate war is the spiritual war, and there are souls that are going to hell. That's what matters. I'm not going to try to win you over to the Republican side or a Democrat side or any side. Our job as a church is to win people for the kingdom of God. Let me ask you, if in our present day, and I know maybe some, somebody will say like, hey, you know, there's a, I know a city like that. You know, a lot of times people say San Francisco is like that or something. But if there was Sodom and Gomorrah today, just wicked people, what would your reaction be to that city? Oh, condemn them? But I'm not going to go into the reading, but you can write it down in Genesis chapter 18. You find Abraham praying for them. Did you know that? God was going to destroy it. But he started praying for them, prayed persistently. He pleaded with God. And Jesus, folks, instructs us to do the same. Look at Matthew 5, 44 and 45 says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do, the, do, uh, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Because that's one of the characteristics of a child of God. And that's what he says in verse 45, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. That's why you got to do it. 
So you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, and he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rains on the just and the unjust, right? God doesn't just do it like he did in the plagues with Israelites, you know, all Egyptians are suffering, the Israelites are, are good. He doesn't do that anymore. Sun rises, sun rains, everything on the good and evil. And what we need to understand, folks, salvation didn't stop when you got saved. You know, the attitude of most Christians, and we don't pray as we ought to pray, as we just read in uh, 1 Timothy, the attitude is, well, I got saved, I got mine, and I hope they get theirs. When there's an issue of life and death, there's always a rescue unit, right? There's a Red Cross and so forth, and there's war going on. When there's spiritual war going on. So who's the Red Cross? God mobilized the rescue unit. It's the church. And what's our, what's our mission? We need to change the address of those people that are going to hell to the address of relocating them to heaven. How are we going to do that if we don't pray? Matter of life and death. Whenever you have a life issue of life and death, it's all about the rescue effort. And that's how I want you to see it. If you see somebody and you're like, oh, he's so evil, pray for him. List their name on your private prayer and just pray for him. Everybody knows the story about Titanic. Anybody seen, anybody has not heard the story of Titanic? There's so many movies about the Titanic, right? You're like, oh, a new movie out. Don't tell me how it ends. We all know how it ends. And I want to tell you, this world is a Titanic. We all know how it's going to end. Now, not meaning to make fun of the Titanic, but it was a terrible tragedy. And 1,500 people perished in the cold waters of of the Atlantic. But you, did you know that you didn't have to be that way? If you read history or you really, maybe you even see it in the movie, but if you read more about it, there be boats, those rescue boats, who were not full, but they would not turn around and go pick up the people because they were afraid they may pull the boat over. There was one boat in particular that went around that could fit more people, 100 people or so, but they only picked up six. When there was more room on the boats for hundreds of people, because the attitude of those who were fortunate sitting in the pews, I got mine, I got saved. But there's people out there that are begging to be saved, that they don't know that they're drowning. Maybe somebody's pleading I wish somebody comes to me and talks about the Lord Jesus Christ or prays for me. But we sometimes are comfortable in our little boat, in our pews. We don't, not that we don't even go out there as we should, but we don't even pray for them. But there's two kinds of people on the Titanic. There were the saved and there was the lost. And again, some more had more money, some more had power. But some, a lot more would have been saved if people would have just went, gone back. And again, too many of us are too comfortable in our Jesus lifeboat. We don't want to step out in our comfort zone. We'll start praying. 
And instead of raising the question, hey, I'm in a boat, how can I get those other people in a boat? And God has all the answers. He has wisdom. Have you asked him? How can I make more room for somebody else? And you know, I've said this before, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it seems to me that Christians are more concerned with trying to keep the saints out of heaven than getting the lost out of hell. Sometimes we see a person that's sick, maybe terminally ill, and we're praying and praying for them that God would heal him because medicine has done its whole course and so forth, and we continue to pray for him and pray for him, but yet we don't pray for the lost. We already know that sick person is going to, going to heaven, and we're trying to prevent them from going to heaven when God's saying it's time for him to go. But yet we don't pray for the lost. And if you really think about it, and I don't think I'll be too far off when I say this, I think most of you know more unsaved people that are going to hell than you know of sick people that are going to heaven. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for the sick. You should. And if we're going to be a church that God blesses, we must be a church that prays for its leaders, prays for the lost, and regardless of who's president. And folks, you know, I don't care about your political views. And we must do it. Do you know why? Some people are like, well, I'm not going to pray for him. You know why we must do it? The reason is very simple. God said so. My opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter because when God says something, I may not like him, I may not agree with the policies, but when the God says something, the argument is over. And it's in black and white. You pray for them. All right, God, that's what we're going to be doing. Again, the reason is very simple. So I'll end today and ask you again, not that we're praying church, but are you a praying Christian? Let's pray. Lord, we humble our heart before you and thank you for your words on prayer that spoke to my heart. And Father, I ask that you help us examine our own heart and that we individually become praying Christians. So in order for us to be a praying church, and that's one of my desires, and I know it's your desire, Father, that we be a praying church. And I pray as we leave this place today, Father, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.